of radio right here every single morning, and I'm so glad you've popped in. Yes, there is the countdown clock going, my final week before I step aside, and gosh, what a great run it's been. So we will be doing the show as per usual all week long, although in fact I'll be at Agribition tomorrow in Regina, but Friday's show is you and me in four hours. We will simply reflect, we'll look back uh, on, for me, it's hard to put 25 years as a career because I didn't know how long it would last, but 25 just flew by, and it's been the honor of my life to be with you here every day. Then Evan Bray begins a week from today. Uh, Oh, by the way, there is an announcement coming down from the provincial government in the education field. Uh, That will be at about 11 this morning. I think you should be here to hear it, and I think it's going to generate some conversation. So we'll talk uh, a bit more about that as well. Well, speaking of government, uh, there is a new book out, and uh, I know our next guest, who's going to spend a little time with me here this morning, said it is the uh, most difficult thing he's ever done, and I can attest, uh, when I wrote my first book, it was like the intellectual version of a marathon. You hurt in places you didn't know you'd hurt, uh, you want to quit, you want to go on, and then finally the book is out. It's a labor of love, and uh, all of us benefit. The book is called Diagnosis Red Tape subtitled A Fading Trust in the Administration of Government. Joe Carson, retired CPA, uh, a man who had nearly 40 years of service in municipal, provincial, federal government. And in recent years, he was involved in the so-called Red Tape Reduction Initiative. Uh, That, of course, deals with government regulation and burden. And Joe Carson joins us in studio this morning. Hey, it's great to have you here. Good morning, John, and thank you very much. Uh, Yeah, it's great to be here. And you're right, it was the hardest thing I've ever done. (laughs) I never realized writing was so difficult. So when you think of, and I want to just talk a little about you in the background. So because the red tape issue, we as taxpayers look at it and think, God, a lot of regulations, a lot of policy. How did this become the force for you that it did? Like, why did it possess you so much that, A, you worked in it, and, B, now you write about it? Um, I, I think it was, the epiphany came when, um, back in 2013, uh, we were doing our first pilot project on red tape reduction, and we came across, uh, it was, the government viewed it as a very successful initiative. Uh, it was the review of the alcohol control regulations, and it was very successful optically but when we you look at it from a red tape reduction perspective there were red flags going off all over the place essentially the changes that were being made were being made because the policy end of it not the implementation and administration end of it and it brought to light um, some of the changes that were being made were being were the result of changes to policy. Policy is not vetted the same way that legislation is through the the legislative process. And because of that, changes can be made less transparently. Mm. And that kind of set the alarm bells off for me, like how big is this problem? And that that was the start of it. For the purposes of your book and the conversation, what is red tape? That's a, you know, I, I think it's very important to start off what it isn't, I, I, I think, is because it's plain and simple, improving the administration of government 
is not about public policy choice. Public policy choice represents the will of the people in a democracy. It's also not about deregulation, which is removing that public policy and the rules that go along with it. So it's very important to realize it's not about choice. It's about the implementation and administration of the rules that government creates to implement that choice. So it's the machinery and the way that machinery turns. Absolutely. Um, in the machinery, we'll call it a regulation, there is what's called mandatory compliance requirements. Most people, in fact, almost all people call them, know them as rules. Right. Rules to be followed. You have no choice. They're mandatory. So a rule that's needed is effective in achieving its goal and is, is implemented efficiently. That's a needed needed thing in, a, in the administration of government. That's great. But um, a rule that doesn't achieve its policy objective or, uh, and forgive me, i got to take a breath before I read this, an unneeded, duplicated, excessive, poorly developed, overly prescriptive, redundant, unclear, exceedingly costly, or poorly managed rule <laughs> mutates to become red tape. Okay, so it's, a mut- so it's like a cellular mutation. It's got all of those things, and then it becomes red tape. Exactly right. There, there are, there's, very, there's a lot of ways rules can mutate to red tape, absolutely. L- let's strip away the politics on this, because sure. I've heard governments of every single stripe um, the opposition to the government of the day, whether it's the NDP opposing the divine conservatives, the divine conservatives opposing the NDP, uh, then the NDP and then leading the SAS party, opposition always says, government is strangling us in red tape. We're going to fix it. Uh, <laughs> see, you laugh. So uh, this, I assume, is transcendent of the policy-setting governments of the day. 100% correct, John. Um it doesn't matter what political stripe, what leadership, what public policy that you promote. At the end of the day, a policy is nothing more than a plan until it's implemented and administered. So it doesn't matter what political stripe you are. It's happening in all types of government, at all levels, in all democratic countries. And that's what I want to point out. This is not a Saskatchewan problem. It's not a Canadian problem. The United States has a big issue with red tape. All democracies have a problem with red tape. Joe Carson is here. The brand new book is called Diagnosis Red Tape, A Fading Trust in the Administration of Government. So let's talk about those things you say that are the rules. I loved your book in that you do a, quite a canvas internationally. Uh, you know, an American could read this book and say, wow, I'm here. But then you keep referring to this place in Canada called Saskatchewan, which of course is your home, Northwest Territories, the Saskatchewan part of NWT, you were able to pull out some old regulations in the early days, even before we were a province. Mm -hmm. How many rules did the early pioneers of Saskatchewan live under? Well, it's interesting because that book uh, contained literally 1,300 pages of we'll just call it policy and rules. Mm, Now, today, um, just in Saskatchewan, there are 236, uh, estimated to be over 236,000 rules that people in business have to follow. 236,000. Now, we would know that like you need a driver's license. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and then you need this, you need that. You file need- your taxes, need a driver's license, the speed limit is 50, you know, on and on and on it goes. 236,000. That is correct. And that's only the provincial ones. That does not include 
the rules that federal government places on people, i.e. the Federal Income Tax Act. What would the federal number, okay, if you've got 236,000 Saskatchewan, what would the Fed number be? Well, I, I don't I don't specifically break out the Fed number. What I did is I went to the Canley database of hmm. statutes, and then I had a uh, staff member run a search software for um, terms like must, shall, are required to. <laughs> right. And, and, uh, it's, and, we we added it up for Saskatchewan. We added and Manitoba did a very similar project, and I used those numbers to extrapolate using federal statutes and of course statutes from across Canada to come up with a, a Canadian number of twelve point one million rules. Twelve point one million. That's correct. Wow, Joe Carson is here. So we know what red tape is. And we know how, as you talk about uh, the things that mutate, can you repeat that again? Those things that mutate into red tape? I love that description. You have well, to take a big breath. <laughs> well, it's it's quite simply, first of all, if it doesn't meet its objective, it's not. there's no need for it. But also, if it, if it does meet its objective, if it's duplicated, meaning somebody else does it, or, or uh, excessive, poorly developed, overly prescriptive, redundant, unclear, exceedingly costly, or poorly managed, all of these add cost, add time, not just, and that's one of the things I want to leave with your listeners, is that for every rule, whether it's needed or not needed, and becomes red tape, you pay twice. How so? The first in the time and effort and money that you expend to comply with the rule, and the second is the taxes you pay, the fees and the charges for government to administer that rule. Mm, good point. So whether it's a building code, whether it's a tax issue, thou shalt. Mm -hmm. So I have to take the time to A, understand it applies to me, B, do it. Yep. And then I get to pay for that being done to me. Correct. 100%. Joe Carson's. I get the feeling I want to keep you a bit longer than we'd planned. I had a half an hour plan for Joe. We've only just started to scratch the surface. The book is called Diagnosis Red Tape, A Fading Trust in the Administration of Government. We're going to talk about what some of those issues are, how governments fall short, and can they do better? Is it capable? We're going to ask Joe about that. I'm John Gormley. If you'd like to join the conversation on government red tape, <laughs> uh, you want to chat with Joe, it's 877-332-8255. We could ask you about your experience, my friends, on what was that Saskatchewan number again? i got to jot that down. 200 and... 230, just over, it's actually in the book. It's just over 236,000 rules. rules at the provincial level. Hang on, we're back. This is 650 CKOM and 980 CJME. Interesting guy in studio with us uh, this morning, Joe Carson, retired civil servant, municipal, federal, provincial government over the years, was one of the people instrumental in Saskatchewan in recent years on red tape reduction. And the new book is called Diagnosis Red Tape, subtitled A Fading Trust in the Administration of Government. He makes the point that red tape reduction will never succeed if you leave it up to government.
because, of course, government is what creates this. And he says there are lots of attempts, like the Lean program, for example. Uh, Nothing seems to work long-term. And he says there is a solution long-term, and we're going to get into that. And think about this. It might just be making the government do what it's always done to us mandatory compliance. We'll talk more about that. Okay, so you've got all sorts of examples. And when you talk about Saskatchewan at 236,000 rules, uh, Canada, 12 million, over 100 million rules in the U.S., uh, all part of government red tape. Are there some really outrageous examples, even just recently you saw in the news? Uh, Yeah, there was one, in fact, a a week or so ago. uh, The headline in the paper... um, read the federal government unveils plans to cut 500 million in spending and i'm quoting from the article uh, departments were asked to review pro- programming and operations to identify where there might be duplication lower value for money or misalignment with government priorities now john all of these are forms of red tape right i guess my begs the question why do departments have to be asked to be effective and efficient that, that that would be my first question, but but the article goes on, and this is what really caught my eye: is the government says it wants uh, spending on professional services and travel to drop by seven point one billion. Yet in another story, in fact, the day before, yeah, there was a headline that said the federal government defends hiring consulting firm KPMG to find ways to save money at the Department of Natural Resources. So the last time I checked, KPMG is a professional service and they want to cut uh using professional services yes and (laughs) here's government asking business again to find ways to save money in government now this is something that should be ingrained in the dna of all managers but doesn't seem to be either in the minister's or senior management's job description in, at the at the federal level. This just blows my mind. Is there a, a fundamental... Are you dealing with almost two different species? I mean, have you got the elected politician who is usually preoccupied with policy? One of the policies is, of course, reduce red tape. You know, it sounds good. People are frustrated. And then is there another set of DNA in the professional government manager? I mean, are we dealing with cats and dogs? And uh, yes, I, I would have to say yes. You're you're dealing with cats and dogs because it's you know it's the the minister's responsibility to listen to the people to bring forward their interests for for um, implementation. It's a the it's a, the responsibility of the the professionals in government to make that work effectively and efficiently so there's there's a difference there um you don't expect a person to really understand uh, everything when you're in, when you're elected but it's it's very difficult essentially what happens is when when uh, the the elected official will ask for the development of a particular piece of legislation it's up to the professionals in the government to provide what's called a cabinet decision item pretty right, sure you come across yeah. those yeah. um essentially there's a regulatory governance best practices for lack of a better word giving okay. a bit of the ending away but they're not uh, Decisions are being made with one hand tied behind your back, if you will. Now, can you imagine as a person trying to 
or thinking of buying a house without knowing the cost of it. Um, that's one of the things that you don't find as often as you should. In fact, 95% of the time, the politicians are not provided with the cost to implement and administer the rules. Okay, so they, re- they know a budget item, but the actual cost of implementing it, number of full-time equivalent jobs, number of consultants, number of contractors, yep. nobody's doing the fine print. No. Okay, so help me out here. I, you know, When you hear about... You know, government says you cannot bring in even a regulation until you drop two. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a popular one. Doesn't that work? Not at all, because that's just a numbers game. Um, I'm just going to go back a couple of decades to then-Premier Romano in Saskatchewan, who had a red tape reduction um, there's target, if you will, of reducing the number of rules by 25 or regulations by 25%. And it was accomplished. But when I took over in 2011, uh, one of the things I did is I went to business and said, what changes did you notice? Not a one of them could say anything. They didn't notice any change. So really it was a numbers reduction exercise that did not reduce the impact on people, on businesses, on... The hurdle or the burden That's right. on individuals. Yep. Will you stay a little longer? Absolutely. I'd like to talk more about this. Joe Carson is here. The book is called Diagnosis Red Tape, subtitled A Fading Trust in the Administration of Government. So is there an actual approach that, as uh, Joe has pointed out, you could expect from government what they expect from you? Mandatory compliance? If so, how do we do that? That'll be my next question. This is 650-CKOM and 980-CJME. I'm John Gormley. Happy Monday. So glad you're here. A brand new book soon out called Diagnosis Red Tape, Fading Trust in the Administration of Government. Joe Carson, Saskatchewanian, a longtime CPA, civil servant, municipally, federally, provincially, and his area of expertise is so-called red tape production. And he's telling us stories as an insider on why governments, if you leave it to them, are not capable, if you leave it up to them, of reducing red tape. Okay, so you explain these things. What's the DNA of a rule? A rule has its own DNA. That's right, John. Every every rule has essentially four parts to it. There's a, there's a licensing component that quite simply identifies those that have to comply with the rule. There's the awareness uh, around the rule. That's the education that has to go, a person has to do to, to comply with the rule. And then there's the obvious compliance, which is what you have to do to comply with the rule. And then there's government enforcement to determine her to make sure that you did comply with the rule. So when you have a rule, each rule has those four components to it. And then you multiply that by the different ways, um, that a red tape or that uh, a rule can turn into red tape and it can happen in government or to people there's actually 72 different ways any rule <laughs> can change to red tape 72 now what do you mean in the book and and in your work professionally when you refer to non black letter rules i mean i think we know what a black letter rule is that's right it's it's in legislation you can read it pick up a book you can read it but non-black letter rules um 
are created by government, and they have the exact same impact as black letter rules contained in statutes, but they're not validated through the same legislative process. Essentially, um, it's based on the experience of the ministry's staff to recommend to the minister who will take it forward to cabinet, and they will approve these policies, they'll approve these programs, they'll approve these directives. All, all of these add rules but are not vetted the same way and unfortunately well there's very good reason to have these non-black letter rules in case of emergencies fire evacuations things of that nature government has gotten pretty comfortable creating non-black letter rules for the uh, to make it easier for them to do their job but so they would argue it's flexibility like a policy flexibility or? yes to 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 a degree you're correct but the the trouble with that is a lot of times these rules are created with less than full transparency they're they're enacted and the first time a person runs into it is when they break the rule they okay. they didn't even know it existed so how so if this kind of flexibility on the way you implement what is a black letter rule how do we keep track of that how do we know what those policy interpretive pronouncements are and that is one of the big uh things i mentioned in the book is that there's absolutely no central repository of rules anywhere not in saskatchewan not in canada not in the u.s nowhere essentially government has become has a siloed structure if you will departments ministries they they all do their own thing and while they may be aware of the rules that apply to them they certainly are not aware of other ministries other levels of government other countries and what they're doing and and it just be, it's it creates duplication it creates excessive rules for no good reason we're with Joe Carson the new book is diagnosis red tape a fading trust in the administration of government does government want to change red tape um I think I'm going to answer that this way. Uh, first of all, I had a, a chance to talk to a King's Court justice a, a while ago, and his comment was, there's no appetite for change. There's no burning desire to change, which when you think about it, it kind of makes sense. The existing form of government administration is something government created. It's something they understand because it hasn't changed in a long time. It's uh, something they can manipulate uh, both through the use of non-black letter rules that aren't as transparent and when it comes to transparency they uh, only they tend to seek opinion from those that support their view of the world if you will in other words those other people inside government i would think to a degree yes yeah. but the question the question becomes why change when people outside of government don't have the time to to care about understanding government administration um, and as a result they're not aware that red tape is as big of a problem as it's become so your point is there's this kind of inertia driving mechanisms inside government so they don't they don't want to change that, that's one of the causes there are two other causes academically speaking um, there there's a lot of information out there that says Changes a lot. Not wanting to change is a result of a lack of education. Um, is I reviewed 13 MPA programs, Masters of Public Administration programs across Canada, 
and several in the United States. And all of them do not place an equal emphasis on implementation and administration. They they focus on policy development, and don't get me wrong, that's extremely important. But, again, it's only a plan until it's implemented. And... So if there is this kind of resistance, institutional, safe to say institutional resistance? Very safe. Okay, so on red tape reduction, what has to happen? What's the takeaway from your book about if, you know, I put you in charge of the world tomorrow, how would we fix this? Well, I think the first thing, I don't want to say the government is just unwilling to change. It goes deeper than that, John. It it actually, um, I looked at it, once I uh, did all the the reading, I looked at it from a different perspective. Uh, You know, there's the liberal use of non-black letter rules to make things easier. There's the lack of central repository. You don't even know how many rules there are. (laughs) And there's the lack of a burning desire to change. Well, if you take those three characteristics and take them out of government and put them into life, it has an amazing similarity to hoarding disease. It actually, in fact, I coined the phrase in the book, hoarding disease in government, because it's, 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 it's an inability to change. It's, it's gone past an unwillingness, and, and it's become an inability to it's just too much to think about so people just don't try to change it so does that change then have to be imposed absolutely 100 percent so 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 who imposes on government that which it's incapable of fixing you know what that's an extremely good question but the answer lies back in 1961 in uh, 1961 both canada and the united states became members of the oecd right and one of the purposes of the OECD is to establish best practices, and in this particular instance, best practices in regulatory governance. Five of those best practices focus on implementation and administration. It would not surprise anyone to know that none of the five principles of sound governance are being followed. So. The answer is has always been right in front of government. They have just chosen not to follow those best practices. And again, it's not one government, it's all governments. So that burning desire to change uh, doesn't exist in government. Arguably, does it exist in enough of us who are the stakeholders, who elect governments? It, it has to become that way, John. And I do point out in the book is that should government change the administration of government, there is a huge benefit waiting down the line. I do go, being an accountant, I'm sorry, I do go into numbers. And, Don't apologize uh, for that. <laughs> essentially, I compared the administration of government against um, charities and nonprofits and and how 25% of the money they raise is deemed reasonable to spend on administration. Well, that number in government is 39%. So they're 56% more inefficient than comparable uh, activities. Hang on to that thought for a sec. We're with Joe Carson. Joe's brand new book is called Diagnosis Red Tape, subtitled A Fading Trust in the Administration of Government. We're drilling down on 
red tape and rules. And uh, Joe points out the number of rules in Saskatchewan, take departments, go through them. As a Saskatchewanian, you live with about 236,000 rules that somehow govern your life. Seems like a lot. Well, federally, we're at about 12 million. In the U.S., it's over 100 million rules. Uh, by the way, when is the book out? It's out December 12th. Uh, Atmosphere Press will be releasing it. It'll be available worldwide on Amazon and Kindle, and I actually will have my own website, everythingredtape.com, up on December 12th to uh, sell the book. Everythingredtape.com. Yeah. Great name. Hang on. Let's go a little further on how it is we would impose on government then some rules that they will deal with the red tape they create. I'm Gormley. This is 980 CJME and 650 CKOM. I'm John Gormley. We're spending a, a very interesting session with Joe Carson, longtime public servant, uh, municipally, provincially, federally, retired CPA. Diagnosis red tape, fading trust in the administration of government. And while he canvasses countries from uh, Brazil to the U.S. to the OECD, he always returns as a Saskatchewanian in this brand new book out December 12th to what's going on here with red tape. So the administrative cost of charities shouldn't exceed 25%. Government, you point out, 39%. What are the things government has to do better? Well, I, I think they really have to take a long, hard look, first of all, at the siloed mentality of governance. Uh, there is no, remember, there's no central repository of rules, so people can't easily find an answer. They can't, they don't. They can't follow the rules very easily. Now, these silos include, and I, again, I'm an accountant, 206 departments, agencies, and crowns at the federal level that uh, transfer uh, authority or delegate authority to both uh, First Nations under 632 or 634 treaty arrangements and, of course, the 13 provinces. Now, in Saskatchewan here... Uh, we have 92 ministries, agencies, and crowns ourselves, and we delegate authority to 774 municipalities. Municipalities have been one of my bugbears since the day I came home to do the show. How, okay, how too much government do we have? I, that's not grammatically correct, but you know where I'm going. I'll, I'll give you two comparisons. The first one is is that Saskatchewan has more municipalities than BC, Alberta, and Manitoba combined, while well, we only have 10% of the population. But I think a, a bigger comparison or a more stark comparison would be Nova Scotia, where, yes, we have about 100,000 more people than, than Nova Scotia, but we have 16 times the amount of municipal administration. The number of, of governments, 16 times. 16 times. And, and people have to be aware that federally provincially and municipality all of these levels make their own rules up so your central repository argument uh, you've got to go to every department that as you say they delegate it, it is it possible to have a central registry of rules <laughs> absolutely 100 percent because uh the government of manitoba 
has what they call the Regulatory Accountability Database, which they borrowed the idea from us. <laughs> uh, so the the bottom line is, is, is it possible? 100% it's possible. And I might add, today there are national databases for crime, both in U.S. and Canada. So the technology definitely exists for such a database. So what else in terms of how government can evolve from not wanting to change to doing things better? Three things. Um, and these, again, these aren't my opinion. These are based on regulatory governance best practices that the OECD puts forward. Uh, the first one is they have to become more transparent. Um, on a macro scale, again, that repository, but on an individual decision-making scale, ensuring all stakeholders that are impacted by a proposed rule are consulted. Again, not just those who kind of agree with government, if you will. And uh, not only on the intended policy, which is, again, an education thing, because people always ask questions about the policy. They have to learn to ask questions about how it will be implemented and how it will be administered. Uh, There's a story in the book um, that I I mentioned about prohibition in the U.S. in the 1920s. And it was, uh, it's probably the most impressive example of a lack of transparency. Uh, Here's the government of the U.S. implemented prohibition uh, law uh, based on the uh, consulting, we'll call it that, of uh, a combination, well, it was the Prohibition Party that, that pushed it forward, the combination of the anti excuse me, the Anti-Saloon League and the Western, and the Women's Christian Temperance, Temperance Union. Temperance WCTU, yeah. That's right, which is today has actually morphed into MAD, so it still exists, Mothers Against Drunk Drivers. And there's nothing wrong with the policy, but implementing that policy would uh, per year today would be the equivalent of $5.3 billion. But the funny part of it was they only represented two percent of the popular of the voting population in the u.s so talk about a lack of transparency influencing government that would be probably a great example so when you give that assessment um just a few seconds left what's your takeaway from all of this it can be fixed if the government follows uh, best practices in regulatory governance, better decisions will be made in the first place. And in, for an accountant, a proactive decision stops problems from happening. Less costly, it, it hits the nail on the head right to begin with. Joe Carson's new book is called Diagnosis Red Tape, a fading trust in the administration of government. Out December the 12th, and the website will be everythingredtape.com. Hey, it's been great meeting you. I know you are a... Uh, you're an alumni member of Saskatchewan Smartest Radio listener, and uh, great having you here. Nice uh, chatting today. Thank you very much, John. Joe Carson joining us in studio. Coming up, we go to the world of gymnastics, and a Canadian woman, former elite gymnast, board member of Gymnastics Canada, on the scandal that has overtaken her sport. And... Uh, a decision, an announcement coming from the Saskatchewan government, apparently, on education. We'll catch more on that in the next hour or two. This is 650 CKOM and 980 CJME.